Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Bienvenidos, mi gente. Welcome to Afterglow. Después de la obra, siéntete conmigo con un vasito de té o un traguito de ron y charlamos. Curl up by the fire or la calidez of your radiator or bask in the warmth from your window depending on where and when you are. Me llamo Ricardo, and I'll be your host as we talk with some of the cast and crew of Romeo y Julieta, una nueva adaptación por Sahim Ali y yo, Ricardo Pérez González. Charlamos sobre los temas de la obra, we'll discuss the social context it touches, y la mezcla de español e inglés y su oft disparate Spanglish. Primero, however, Romeo y Julieta is, of course, una de las historias de amor más famosas. So, to begin our journey together, I want to ask, what does love sound like to you? ¿A qué suena el amor? My partner's voice in the middle of the night is what love sounds like. My first cat. My mom's voice. My son, my teenage son, who's like, you know, a knucklehead in all the way that teenagers are. But when he laughs full out, that also sounds like love to me. Uh, soft, delicious, sexy, sensuous salsa song. Love sounds like passion. Like, you know, when someone is passionate about a person or a thing, like you can hear it. You can hear it in their voice. It sounds pure in the sense of, um, you know, to bring it back to cats. <laughs> and when my daughter, who's 10, sings. The sound of a good song, the sound of the ocean, you know, the sound of el coqui. <laughs> and also the sound of, of feet dancing, but it, there's got to be dancing. The love I feel for my mother, the love I feel for my children, the love I feel for my partner. Aren't there like 15 different words for love in, in Greek, in ancient Greek. I think love sounds like an effortless duet where the other person utters something and you pick it up right where they left off. And I think that in this story, Romeo and Juliet do that. They are two characters who live in metaphor and very descriptive language. Just think of what Romeo says. Tis the east, and Juliet is the sun. And that moment of you don't just see a person, you see a natural phenomenon that lights the world. Every conversation comes back to Juliet's three lines. My bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. That's love. Esto es el amor. Y en cuanto a esta historia de amor, Public Theater Shakespeare Scholar-in-Residence Ayana Thompson and Romeo y Julieta's translator Alfredo Michel Modenesi discuss whose story is it? ¿Quién es el héroe de la historia? ¿Romeo o Julieta? It's definitely Juliet's. Romeo is like such a good Petrarchan lover, which is like he only loves in constructed forms, you know? He's constantly speaking as if he were writing a sonnet. 
And Juliet is just so amazing because the moment, the famous balcony scene, when she realizes that he's overheard her real thoughts, she's like, okay, now I could pretend that I'm not that into you and I could use Petrarchan conventions, but why don't we just put that aside so that we can actually talk for real? And that's like the most, um, like, if you think this is like a 15-year-old girl who's like, all right, you caught me. Now let's like actually be real with each other. That's amazing. She is the North Star of this play. She's the sun. And Shakespeare's not using that only as a metaphor. I mean, he uses the name and the birthday. And the sign in the zodiac, she's a lion. And that's the sun. She is fire. She is heart. She is everything that a lion is. And she's this tremendous energy. I don't think it would be fair to say one or the other because I think it takes both their energies to make that relationship what it is. Lupita Nyong'o, who played Julieta, has a slightly different take. It takes Romeo to scale the wall and pursue Juliet, you know? But Juliet, in many ways, sets the terms of their relationship. She's the one who kind of cuts to the chase. She's the one who's like, okay, it's cool. You think I'm the son, but can we get? <laughs> like, how are we going to make this legit? Juliet is the only one who's being active in the play and making choices that kind of matter. Romeo is acted upon. He's exiled. He's kind of at the whim of these emotions. But I also think he's at the whim of the way that he thinks love is supposed to be. And she's the one who's saying, what happens if we throw out all of these conventions and, and as you say, kind of play an active role in our lives? And that is unbelievably threatening to a patriarchy. It's unbelievably threatening to, like, the, you know, the world order. And I think that's probably why it has to end in, in this tragedy. ¿De quién es la historia? ¿De quién es la obra? Eh, yo diría que del amor de ellos dos, ¿no? ¿Esa es una respuesta válida o quieres que te diga un personaje? Sí. <risa> Esa es Karen Lugo, who played Sor Juana. El amor puro que estas dos personas de diferentes bandos, un amor puro y e incondicional. Uh, así que yo, yo diría que ese, ese es el personaje principal, el amor que hay en, entre estas dos personas de familias que se odian. O sea, el amor que, es, que nace del propio odio, se puede decir. Florencio Lozano, who played Capulet, a role that combined Julieta's mother and father, shares with us the emotional afterglow of playing the matriarch of La Familia Capuleto. Getting to play both the mother and the father in this family, I really understood that Juliet's parents, or in my case, Juliet's parent, wants to protect her. She wants the best for her daughter. She does love her daughter madly and can't understand that she's really hurting her daughter. It was so freeing to not, to get to be angry. I feel like a lot of the times women uh, in literature, you know, well, we can't get that angry. And if we do, we're the mad woman in the attic or we're, we're the bitch. And God, the truth is there's so much power in that anger. And there's so much, there's so much in that. There's so much energy in that anger. And it was very freeing to get 
to have access to it in the language. That's brilliant. It's brilliant in in the way that it is attuned to the kind of cultural specificities or realities in a lot of Latinx families where you do have matriarchal households. It's so powerful to think about what happens when the matriarch kicks you out, when the matriarch says, no, you've crossed the line, you are not abiding by the structures that I have set in place, you need to go, you're you're banished from my household. I think in, in many ways, your mother saying that to you would make a young girl go to the extremes that Juliet goes to. So I don't know. For me, it's incredibly compelling and great theater. I think it's it's brilliant. I feel, well, I feel like we're living through this incredibly exciting, incredibly challenging time where we have the potential to dismantle that patriarchy, reconfigure power in a new way. I really never thought Me Too would ever happen. And that gives me such hope for the future. In terms of the patriarchy, every human being suffers under that kind of system. And every person internalizes it. And oftentimes I have found that women, people who identify as women, are the worst perpetrators of patriarchal thinking. I know, speaking for myself, I have internalized the messages that tell me that my opinion is not as important, that tell me that I have to be thin, that tell me that I have to look young, that tell me I have to be attractive. And it's really been a my whole life's journey and will continue to be. And I think Capulet really has internalized the patriarchy. And that's where a lot of her rage comes from. And that is, in some ways, the tragedy of the play for her, is that she couldn't bear her daughter to live the life that she lived and suffer the things she suffered. So she ended up indirectly killing her. Earlier, Karen mentioned love, el amor, as Romeo y Julieta's personaje principal. Before we continue our discussion of the play, I want you to cierra los ojos, close your eyes, y piensa en tu primer amor, tu primer crush, pasión, flechazo. Think of your first crush as the cast and creative team of Romeo y Julieta share theirs. I can, t- I can name names, but I won't. <laughs> Fifth grade, I sat next to Jason. Last name starts with an A. <laughs> and he was a delightful human being. You could tell he was going to grow up to be a gentleman. And I loved him hard. <laughs> so, Jason A., if you are out there listening, the moment is past, but just know... You were loved. You were loved. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There was this girl. This is in Colombia. And God, now that you're saying this makes me think of the Romeo in me. That's so funny that I had not thought about this until just now. But there was this girl. Her name was Marcela. I was so in love with her that I wrote her a poem. 
I wrote her this like really beautiful poem and I, uh, I actually read it to her in front of a bunch of people. I mean, I was like nine years old. Yeah. Eras una vez una bella mujer sentada y arrullada en un mundo de papel. Something, something. No sé por qué me llamó la atención y poquito a poco me enamoré. Something like that. Yeah, I was like nine. How wild is that? Yeah. But you know, that it was that thing of like, you know, oh, this is so cool, this feeling. And then I moved to the United States. So, God, it's tragic. I professed my love and then I had to leave the country. It was all very adult, really, when I think about it. You were exiled to Mantua. Yeah, exactly. Pero aparte es un poco convencional. You know, it's very conventional because it was a teacher, so... <laughs> That's the first time we've heard that. That's the first time we've heard that, so no es tan convencional como piensa. Ah, de veras? ¿Cómo que la primera vez que dice? Cannot be. I mean, you know, teachers are always... In my opinion, they're, they're the first crushes for so many people. And it was curiously a, um, a Spanish teacher. A woman that remains extremely important in my life because through her I learned so much. So much. Bueno, bueno, maestra, si estás escuchando, know that you were loved. Yeah, she was. And you are still loved through the impact that you have created in this world. Absolutely. I mean, that, that I'll never forget. Esto es tan aburrido, pero mi primer flechazo probablemente fue Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> ¡Qué charra! <laughs> It was Leonardo DiCaprio, my first date. My my first date when I was, what was that? I must have been like, I must have been like Juliet's age. I went on a date with a guy to watch Titanic. And I fell in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. Recuerdo cuando en la película, como yo tenía, yo era una nena chiquita cuando yo vi esa película, hello, o sea. Y recuerdo que en la película hay una escena que él le dice a una nena chiquita cuando va a bailar con Kate Winslet, él le dice, you're still my favorite girl. Y yo, y yo siempre pensaba que será yo. Yo como que, he's saying that to me. <risa> como que, you're still my favorite girl getting, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance with Kate Winslet now and maybe die for her at the end of this movie. You know what I mean? And at the end of the movie, I wept for his death. I keened and keened, and this poor guy <laughs> was sitting next to me. The theater was clearing out, and I was just crying inconsolably until the point that we were kicked out because they were, like, sweeping up the cinema. But I was inconsolable about Leonardo DiCaprio's passing in Titanic, just mourning the death of my first love, <laughs> and I'd completely forgotten about the guy <laughs> that I was on the date with. <laughs> Huh. Uh, my first, it was, uh, it was in seventh grade. I studied in a private school in Carolina, Puerto Rico, Colegio Bautista de Carolina. And I had a crush on a, on a girl, and she's a really good friend now. But I was like, oh, my God. I was like, like Romeo. I was like, for sweat sight, for I never saw true beauty till this night. What the fuck? But yeah, it was like my first primer uh, desamor, no? You know, I was like, oh, you know, first heartbreak. But yeah, her name is Glenda, Glenda Liz. 
Well, at the risk of being controversial, Che said all revolutionaries are motivated by feelings of deep love. And that's true of all theater lovers as well. We fall in love with actors when we're younger. And actually, even when we're older, we develop crushes on people we see in plays or movies or television. Those crushes are actually just the infantile expression of the fact we feel a sense of intimacy with the people on stage. We feel connected to them. We have in the best theater that awe-inspiring sense of actually knowing somebody's soul because you're sharing an incredibly intimate moment with that person. When Romeo and Juliet do that balcony scene and they're at the Delacorte Theater and there are 2,000 people watching them, 2,000 people are with them in the most private and intimate and vulnerable moments of their lives because we all remember and are taught what it was like to fall in love for the first time. We all remember that sense of, oh my gosh, nothing else mattered but her or him. The whole world took on her light. The world became beautiful because he was in it. We remember that. And one of the terrible things about being an adult is we tend to forget that. It tends to encrust us. And what the theater can do is break open that crust and remind us of the intimate reality of experience that is what makes life worth living. And, you know, love is the stuff of theater, whether it's a love story or not. But when it's a love story, wow. And love stories take all sorts of forms. Amor pa un amante, amor pa la familia, amor pa nuestras raíces. Quieren Florencia, Lupita, Juan Castaño, and Modesto Lacen shared their relationship to their roots. I went to a bilingual school in Puerto Rico, and I, I, ahí me enseñaron, to, casi todas las clases eran en inglés, y los textbooks eran en inglés, pero en el día a día, con mi familia, con mis amigos, con mis maestros, yo hablaba español, nada más. It's just a whole mess, un mejunje, como decimos. <laughs> But it's beautiful, and I do believe that it'll become its own little thing. You know, that's our, that really defines us. I feel like I'm a different person in Spanish. Me siento mucho más um, conectada con mis emociones, con mi alma, uh, con una persona que soy, pero no soy en este país porque no hablo mucho español cuando estoy aquí. My parents are from Argentina, and oh my God, Argentines, we're able to laugh at ourselves, which is a real saving grace, because if we weren't, we'd be screwed. I mean, part of it is, too, is like Argentina um, and a lot, of, a lot of Latin America, God, Colombia, it kind of breaks my heart because our countries are so rich in resources. My God, I mean, they should, they should have the most booming economies. The people should have the best infrastructure, uh, transportation systems, and they don't. They really don't. Um, the corruption in those countries and the, and frankly, what the U.S. has done <laughs> all over Central and South America has robbed the country of their own riches. Yo tengo, en mi opinión, una experiencia muy diferente, una relación muy diferente con mi país 
um, because of the way that I had to leave. Okay. Um, and I know it's a bit of a, an unpopular opinion, but you know, the truth is I would have no desire to go back to Colombia. And, um, you know, for me, that's, that's hard to admit because Latin people are so proud of where they're from. You know what I mean? And, and rightly so. But basically, to give you a little bit of the story is, um, you know, when I grew up in Cali, Cali, Colombia, and uh, it was extremely violent when I was living there. It was like during the Cali cartel years, you know. So um, there was just murder and kidnappings. And um, my dad's job got really dangerous and he had to flee the country. And we fled with him. And even then, when we had to leave, when we were leaving, I remember going through the airport crying because I didn't want to leave. You know, I didn't want to leave my country. Romeo and Juliet was the first professional play that I did when I was 14 years old, back in Nairobi, Kenya. I was cast as Juliet, and as part of that cast was a very young Sahim Ali. Uh, He was 18 at the time, and he was Mercutio. And then, fast forward, I think it, it was 12 years later, we met again in New York, and he was studying to become a director. And uh, we became fast friends then. And then last year, he called me up and proposed this insane idea of doing this bilingual Romeo and Juliet. And mind you, by the, when we met when I was 14, I didn't speak a lick of Spanish. Lo aprendí cuando tenía 16 años. Tuvo un, un novio con quien solo hablaba en español y eso me ayudó mucho <laughs> por un par de años. So, yeah, no, I recommend love to learn a language, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so there's that. It took a whole, all sorts of life experience to get to the point where I could do this with him. Sometimes I would just, when we were rehearsing, I would look over at him and just marvel at how these two Kenyans are, are doing this in America and in, with, in such different capacities, you know. And to have your one of your best friends direct you is really an invaluable experience. Um, yeah, I felt very grateful to, you know, be going on this journey with him. So many layers. <laughs> I mean, I feel like as a people, Puerto Ricans love the deepest and the fullest, right? And that may very well be because we are in a kind of limbo in terms of our identity. We're a commonwealth and that essentially, you know, that's a transitory status. I think the important thing is not to victimize ourselves because of that. You know, that's it. You know, we are a colony. It's a very ambiguous status right so it is we're essentially like either wanting to be independent or a state but we're we haven't decided that yet and we've been in this sort of limbo for a century and change what does that do to a person's identity i feel like it does it it affects the way that you see yourself in the world right 
it's constantly going between two cultures, between two languages. This is exactly what this play is, right? This adaptation is a play that is not in English. It's not an adaptation in English. It's not an adaptation in Spanish. It's in both. So we're constantly moving from one. We're living in that space that Puerto Ricans know very well. I feel like more and more bilingualism is a reality in our world, not only as Americans, as, as, as citizens of the world, really, we, I know very few people that can't, that are not adept at more than one language, you know? So I, I'm surprised that we're not doing this more. Indeed. Why aren't we doing this more? Sahim shares a story that demonstrates the very real world prejudices that bilingual folk and Spanish speakers face to this day. A couple of weeks ago, two women at the border, the U.S.-Canadian border, were arrested because they were speaking Spanish. They're U.S. citizens, and what the Border Patrol agent said was like, well, we don't have that language around here. So clearly they mistook them for being undocumented immigrants, and they were U.S. citizens. It's like 2020. How? It's just baffling. And what do we say to those Shakespeare purists out there who believe adapting the bard in this way is sacrilege? People who talk that way about Shakespeare are not actually talking that way about Shakespeare. They're talking about their own sense of cultural property. And what they are saying is that they own a certain version of the greatest poet in the English language, the greatest writer in the English language, that he is their property, and that it's important to make sure that he not become other people's property. And that is a stance that I reject utterly. Shakespeare belongs to everybody. He belongs to every citizen of the world. He belongs to every historical moment. And because he was a man of the theater, he would understand and applaud the idea that we take Shakespeare and we work with him. We don't serve him. We work in dialogue with Shakespeare. There are people who are determined to use Shakespeare to try and reinforce their own position at the top of the class hierarchy. And those people, we have nothing to say to. I'm sure they're going to put on my tombstone, he butchered Shakespeare. That's public theater Shakespeare scholar-in-residence Jim Shapiro. Somebody has to cut not just long plays into plays that we can comfortably watch in a couple of hours, but trim the fat. and. Scholars like to talk about the moment in which he's writing Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer Night's Dream as this great lyric period in his work. What they don't say is because they're not responsible for bringing these plays to life on stage or radio. What they don't say is, God, there are scenes that go on forever. There are two breeds of Shakespeareans, those who care about Shakespeare on the page and those who care about Shakespeare on the stage. I I went to high school in Brooklyn and had my first exposure to Romeo and Juliet as a 14-year-old in, in the annex in, in Midwood High School in Brooklyn. It was a tough school. It was not a comfortable environment. I didn't get the play at all. I didn't even get the dirty bits that everybody else in class seemed to get. And I swore I would never, ever study Shakespeare again formally unless I was forced to. And I was never forced to. I never took a, a formal course in Shakespeare in, in college or graduate school. but. In my late teens, I started bumming around Europe with my big brother. We ended up in London, and I uh, I found myself at the theater. It was inexpensive. Uh, it was a way to spend an evening, and I was hooked. 
And I went back by myself the next summer for a month and see 30 plays in 30 days, all Shakespeare. So my experience is completely theatrical. You know, I, I, I love reading Shakespeare, but I'd rather see a terrible production than sit in a room near a fireplace with a drink in hand and read through the plague. I do love Shakespeare. And a lot of times I'm like, but come on. Um, it's not all good. It's not all great. And it doesn't always work theatrically. It might be fun to study on the page in a classroom, but not all of it works on the stage 400 years later. And there are moments that I think are offensive now. Like, I mean, there are racist elements, sexist elements, certainly anti-Semitic elements that we might want to pause over and have collective conversations about if we want to leave them in, take them out, how we want to change them, if at all. Um, So... It's fine to love Shakespeare and to wrestle with him. Like, I think that's the the best kind of art is the art that you get to wrestle with, grapple with, struggle with, fight with. Um, I don't know that there's any art that I just want to, like, put up on a pedestal and, and worship. That's not, I don't, that's not how I interact with art. You know, if you allow all the complexities to flourish in your production, then, I mean, you can wrestle individually but you also get to wrestle collectively with your fellow audience members. And that's, you know, I mean, I've had many conversations in bathrooms at intermissions with strangers about like, well, what that didn't make sense. Like, or why would you, or, <laughs> and you know, and there, you know, you never, you might not ever see that person again, but it, it like, it's like you, we have to talk about it together. Together. Juntos. Romeo y Julieta may be a tragedy, Pero también es una historia de amor, a story of coming together in a world that wants to keep us divided. And like all love stories, it's messy and complicated and terrible and beautiful. As we round out this afterglow, Sahim, Ayana, and Modesto talk about the idea of reclaiming love. We asked Sahim, known among many things for his work with playwrights who center queer Black love, such as Donye Love and Harrison Rivers, about the power of queer love today. You know, it goes back to the notion of empathy and how to have stories that allow others to see us as worthy of the things that they are automatically assigned. You know, relationships, like long-term relationships and like, like deep fulfilling love you know my i feel like coming to this country a lot of the queerness that i saw on stage was almost always connected to trauma we've seen those stories like we've told them we don't we do not need to be beaten over the head with those same stories like it's time to be expansive about the kinds of love that we see on stage so harrison's work donye's work um jeff augustine's work you know, he's played the New Englanders, just showing like a like a same-sex uh, biracial couple raising a biracial child in the suburbs of America. You know, that's love. That is love too. That is a family, an American family that is trying to have a life with a troubled teen. It's important to be able to see queer love in all its forms, not just the traumatized forms. And when it is, as in Donye's play, um, Sugar in Our Wounds, let's see queer love in our history. Let's see queer love existing with our ancestors, you know? Let's see it existing through time because we did not just appear, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 or even 100 years ago. We've been around, you know? Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, there's so much good work on the fact that for a long time, there were not positive depictions of Black love, that it was always kind of dehumanized or made to look monstrous or violent or fractured or whatever. Um, And, uh, you know, I think so a lot of Black artists have been very thoughtful and intentional about creating pieces where there is, there are representations of Black love. When the nuclear family is reunited at the end of Pericles, like every time I see that, I weep. And I've seen several productions that have staged that as a Black family reunion. And it's almost unbearable how emotional I feel when that, when you get to see a Black husband, a Black wife, and a Black child be reunited. And I'm even thinking about the the recent movie, the the 40-year, I'm going to get it wrong, not the the 40-year version, right? 40-year-old version, yes, yes. Which is, has wonderful representations of Black love and how complicated our lives are, and love is always complicated. Like, you know, I don't know that anyone has an uncomplicated love story, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think it is incredible. Another thing that I want to, to talk about, Black joy, I think, for me, one of the many ways of resistance is joy is being successful at your work. For me, I was raised in Loiza. Loiza is a small town in Puerto Rico, which is a majority of Black people, uh, and where the African culture and history is ingrained in our our food, uh, in our culture, and in our music. And to think that somebody from Loiza is in the same project as Lupita, which is from an African country and is now in a beautiful moment, has been in a beautiful moment in her career, Academy Award winner. It's beautiful. The art connects, you know, connects us. So for me, being part of this production is success. And that's joy. And because of that, I'm resisting because society is not made for a black person to be happy or to be successful. James Baldwin, I'm paraphrasing one of of his many brilliant quotes. He says like, you know, to be conscious and aware in America and to be a Negro is to be angry all the time. And that's the truth. If you're aware, you'll be angry, but not but, but and we have to flip the coin because that's, that's resistance, to be happy, to be successful, to be healthy. It's a revolution. My grandparents, one of them was a fisherman, and the other one uh, worked in the sugarcane alleys in Puerto Rico. I don't know if one of them dreamt that one of their grandsons could be an actor and speak four languages and doing the things that I'm doing. Because in their lifetime, that wasn't accessible. So we have come a long way. Uh, we have to keep pushing and getting into good trouble. So that's what Black love means to me. Respecting and loving all our Black brothers and sisters and all of their descendants. Loving all the colors and all the, all the shapes that comes from being from this beautiful root, La Raiz de Africa.
As the light of the afterglow wanes, we have one final offering for you, querido público. Now is the time in our show where we play a little game, Maldito Amor, where we test the Romeo y Julieta's cast and creative team's knowledge of love, life, Shakespeare, and internal organs. There's several categories of questions, and you can play along with us at home. So, our first category is word association. And our first question goes out to Sahim and Jim. It's so thrilling. Yes. <laughs> the heroine of Much Ado About Nothing, Putnam County, fictional character and champion speller Akila, and Honey all have this in common. Whoa. Um. Huh. They're... They're, they come from a sting? Hmm. Jim? Bees. Well done, Jim. Well done. That's 10 points. And for you, Sahim, the judges have awarded you five points for your stinging response. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on, same category, word association. And we have Modesto and Ayana up. Oh, great. I'm ready. Question is, the Bard of Avon, Roman legionnaires, and 90 Chantus Brittany all have this in common. The Shakespeare, Iroma, Shaved Head, <laughs> uh, Coliseo? Ah, oh, come on! Ayana? Spears? <laughs> 10 points to Ayana and a bonus of 10 points for the quickest correct answer we've had yet. Take that, Jim Shapiro. <laughs> I love this healthy rivalry. I'm coming for you, Jim. (laughs) All right, moving on. Our next category is traducción or translation. Oscar, Alfredo, and Sahim are up to bat. Contestants, I'm going to ask you to translate the famous line, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks into the language of your choice. Okay. Okay. Ready. I'm ready. My German is really terrible. I learned it as a teenager in Switzerland, but here goes. Well, Oscar, that said, you are going first. So you speak German? I speak English and German, and to my deep shame, I do not speak Spanish. And, you know, this this may sound ignorant, but to me, when I hear those lovers talking in Spanish to one another, it feels like the language of love. In a way, for example, German never does. German feels like the language of politics and war. Aber Pause. Welchen Lucht durch diesen Fenster erscheint? Wunderschön. 10 points and 10 bonus points for making the language of war and politics sound beautifully romantic. All right, Alfredo, you should have a leg up on this being our resident translator. Oh, oh, come on. That's that's so awful because soft, what light three on the window breaks, I can translate it to English as, but soft, what light three on the window breaks. And it's, and it's not even the same line. You know what I mean? I always tell them, you want a copy? Okay, Xerox it. But you still, you're still not getting the same line. I'm going to give you 60 million points for reading the question for filth, Alfredo. <laughs> well done. All right, Sahim, take us home. The language of your choice. And you have five to choose from, so. <laughs> okay. 
lakini a hiyo taa inakuja kuajirisha gani sasa hivi so beautiful and i imagine that that was swahili is this true ding 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 you are correct <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That's 10 points for me and 10 points for each of our contestants. All right, our next category is word origin. What modern quote-unquote slang word was used by Shakespeare in several of his plays? A. Hella. B. Dude. C. Swagger. D. Kiki. Wow, I'm going to draw blank. You know, this brings me back to when I was also 17. and i taken my psat exam and scored at a miserable level and my parents in their desperation to see me go to college sent me to king's highway in brooklyn where an old man with a toupee and bad clothing drilled into a dozen of us answers like this and his name was stanley h kaplan this was before the industry of stanley h kaplan was born and i guarantee you that i'd be working at a counter in brooklyn and not a shakespeare scholar in residence at the public theater but this underscores just how bad a quiz and test taker i am jim you are doing just fine ayana kerway in give your fellow shakespeare scholar a hand swagger he used oh. swag wow he did indeed ferenzi he did indeed so that's 170 million points for ayana Shakespeare used swagger, swaggering in Midsummer Night's Dream, Henry IV and King Lear, so he beat Jay-Z to his swag bag by about a couple hundred years. You know that Jay-Z talks about Shakespeare quite a lot? Absolutely. Yeah, and he's like, you know, why am I not considered the modern Shakespeare? And, you know, in fact, why not? <laughs> I actually don't doubt that's why Jay Shakes, let's just call him that. Um Jay Shakes used swag <laughs> and swagger. Um, because that's he was conversant with that <laughs> reference. I fully believe it's a Shakespearean reference. I've never heard him say that. But he might. <laughs> I love it. I love All it. right. Our next category is quotations. I am going to give our contestants a series of quotations and they have to guess who said them. I have these quotations in both English and Spanish and the language I speak them in is not an indication of where they come from. Contestants can always choose to hear each quote in the opposite language. Contestants, are you ready? This is where Jim will win. <laughs> oh my god. <goodness. laughs> First up in this category is once again Sahim. So who said it? Shakespeare, Calderón de la Barca, or the situation from the Jersey Shore? When love is not madness, it is not love. Can you say it in Spanish? Cuando el amor no es locura, no es amor. Okay, it's not it's not the situation. Um huh I'm going to go with Calderon. Well done Sahim, well done. All right, next up we have Oscar and Lupita. Who said it? Shakespeare, Calderon de la Barca, or Tiffany Pollard of I Love New York fame? I am torn between what my heart wants and what my heart needs. Calderon. Lupita? Ah. I feel like that might be I love New York. Lupita, you are 100% correct. Good. <laughs> Tiffany Pollard of I love New York fame. Sorry, Oscar. All right, Karen, you're up. Who said it? Shakespeare, Calderón de la Barca, or cantante famoso Ricky Martin? Yeah. 
te extraño porque vive porque en vive mi tu recuerdo te vida en cada minuto lo pienso te extraño Ricky Martin como es te extraño te olvido te olvido de nuevo I don't remember the words but that's I know that song so well amazing <laughs> yay 50 million points and plus yeah. 10 million points. Oh my God. I'm a billionaire at you this are, point, you're I think. You're a billionaire. You have billions of points. Not only extra credit for the um, speed of your <laughs> answer, but, but uh, extra credit for that beautiful rendition. Oh my God. I wish I had been ready so that I could give you an actual rendition, you know? That was divine. Next up in quotations. The library is still open for our translator, Alfredo Michel Modonesi. Alfredo? Who said it? Shakespeare, Calderón de la Barca, or Paquita la del Barrio? Oh, and that I know. Paquita, I know. Yeah, she's Mexican. The quote is, Rata inmunda, oh, come on. animal that's Paquita, rastrero. That's Paquita. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's her most famous song. Right, it's like... Eso es, eso es. Moving on, Modesto Lacen. Ah, who said it? Shakespeare, Calderón de la Barca, or La Reina Celia Cruz? Mm -hmm. To the ends of the earth I'd go to find you, my love. And I can also read it in Spanish if you like. Yeah, can you read it in Spanish? Al fin del mundo me iré para encontrarte, mi cariñito. Hmm. Celia. Muy bien, aunque me cueste la vida. Celia, mi esposita querida. Exacto. From your role on the miniseries Celia. Now, Lupita, this next one is for you. Who said it? Shakespeare, Calderón de la Barca, or Nobel Prize winning activist Wangari Mathai? When you know who you are, you are free. Wangari Mathai. 100%. Well done, Lupita. All right. Last but not least, Oscar, a chance to redeem yourself. Who said it? Shakespeare, Calderón de la Barca, or existential philosopher RuPaul. The truth is, we are all basically the universe, pretending to be humans for a brief moment of time. RuPaul. A hundred percent, Oscar. Shante, you stay. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Bueno, mi gente, we are nearing the end of our game. Pero antes de terminar, we have our final category. As promised, category is internal organs. We're going to ask Jim, Florencia, Juan, Ayana, and Lupita to weigh in. So team, our final question is, the heart, a longtime symbol of love, is, of course, the organ that keeps our blood pumping through our bodies. However, using the model of the four humors popular during Shakespeare's time, what organ was associated with blood? A, the gallbladder, B, the spleen, C, the liver, D, the lungs. We'll start with Jim. I will say, and it's wrong, the liver. Florencia. I think the liver. Juan. The lungs. Ayana. And liver. Sticking with Jim there, I see. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Lupita. Ding, ding, ding. Liver. Yes, Lupita. If you said liver, yes! you were correct. Yes. <laughs> Using the model of the four humors, blood was associated with the liver. We can laugh at humoral theory, you know, this notion that people are driven by humors. But one of the things that I love to ask people to do when they confront Romeo and Juliet for the first time 
is draw a picture of love. And what they draw is a heart, or what we imagine from Hallmark cards is a heart with an arrow through it. And I said, I, I didn't ask you to draw a human heart being injured, but most people think of love as a heart with an arrow through it. So we too have our problems with our theories about love that tell us more about ourselves than we probably want to know. Bueno, mi gente, mi familia, with those words of wisdom, it's time to bid you adieu and adios. Compartimos una historia de amor, tragedia, losses y gains, and together, we basked in the afterglow of a timeless tale que respira de nuevo contada por otras bocas. Romeo and Juliet, or rather, Romeo y Julieta. Thank you for joining us, for playing along with us, and for dreaming with us. Muy buenos días, take care, and cuídense. <laughs>